0: Okay. Welcome, everybody. Spiritual psychotherapy, episode six. We're nearing uh, the end of the semester, but hopefully it should be a worthwhile one. So this time I decided, you know, before we continue, of course, with our Kabbalistic stuff, which we will indeed get to, um, I want to start off with some some excerpts of the lecture from Alan Watts talking about the Taoist way. And the reason I want to talk about this is because I've found in my own life, that this lecture does a unique job in putting me in a mental space that most of the time I'm not in. Um, And it's something that I want to cultivate in my own life. And uh, as always, I want to give that back to whoever's listening. And, uh, you know, whether that's on Spotify later on, or of course, right now, with you guys, I want to be able to cultivate this kind of a frame of mind before we delve into anything else. Um, and I think the way that Alan Watts is with words, he has such an amazing way of, of describing things and allowing you almost to ride the coattails of his words into whatever experiencing he, he was having. Baruch Abba. No, 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 it's, it's on here. Don't worry, you sit anywhere, you sit anywhere. Fadal, just in time to hear these brilliant words. Okay, so listen up and let me know if you have any questions. We'll try to break it down. But of course, there's something still better than that. He was just talking about how to kind of trick yourself into maintaining a good habit or, you know, getting off of a bad habit, like quitting drinking. He's saying, and that is not to let the devil know anything. And that means, of course, not to let yourself know. One of the many meanings of that saying, let not your left hand know what your right hand doeth. It is just this. Right. So he's saying there's a certain way of acting without acting. This is something we've hinted at many times that this Eastern meditative way of being and acting is such that it's an effortless effort. And you might say, what does this mean? And it's something, hey, baruch haba uh, It's something that you wouldn't understand what it means unless it's something that you're kind of slipping into. How do you act without acting and without effort? Yeah. Who, who, uh... So this is from Alan Watts. It's a, He's an Eastern philosophical uh, minded guy who was raised in the West, but studied a lot of Eastern philosophy and brought it to the West. So he's a Western guy. Um, And that was why in the Zen discipline, the great deal of it centers around acting without premeditation. I love this because we all know that state of flow or that state of fun when we're playing a sport and we feel that way. As those of you know, who read Herigl's book Zen in the art of archery, it was necessary to release the bowstring Without first saying, now, there's a certain way of of acting, he's saying, where you're not constantly planning the next thing. You're just acting naturally without self-consciousness. This is a flow state. This is a state that is enlightenment in a way, kind of enlightenment in a bottle. Uh, There's a wonderful story you may have also read by a German writer, von Kleist. This is one of my favorites about a boxing match with a bear. The man can never defeat this bear because the bear always knows his plans in advance and is ready to deal with any situation. The only way to get through to the bear would be to hit the bear without having first intended to do so. So this guy is fighting a bear. Of course, what is this almost like a mashallah of? Almost like the fight that we're having with our own ego, the feeling that our ego has with itself of I must overcome myself. Trying to raise yourself up by your own bootstraps, which, as we said, is the equivalent of trying to take, take off in an airplane by pulling up on your seat. That's not going to make you take off any more quickly. Um, so basically, he's saying you have to hit the bear without first intending to do so, because intending to do so already alerts the bear that you're about to try to hurt him or try to overcome him. Uh, That would catch him, he says. And so this is one of the great, great problems in the spiritual life or whatever you want to call it, is to be able to have intention and act simultaneously. By this means you escape karma and you escape the devil. He's using specific language that religious people might understand. um, But the point is still there that there's a way of acting where you don't have to announce it to yourself. It's just acting. And like we said last week, uh, you know, the, the student comes up to his guru. He says, what is the fundamental principle of this Buddhism? And he says, did you eat breakfast this morning? He says, yes. He says, did you wash your bowls? He says, no, I didn't wash my bowls. And then he says, so go wash your bowls. And that's, it's, it's as simple as that. You know, it's, it's just acting without thinking about a million things in the process. Continuing on. But of course, there's something still better than that, and that is not to let the devil know anything I sorry, we read that already? Um, OK, I put that, that twice. So you might say that the Taoist is exemplary in this respect, that this is getting free from karma without making any previous announcement of simply supposing we have a train and we want to unload the train of its freight cars. You can go to the back end and you can unload them one by one and shunt them into the siding. But the simplest of all ways of unloading is to uncouple between the engine and the first car. And that gets rid of the whole bunch at once. It's one of my favorite analogies that I've ever read with regards to overcoming karma, quote unquote. We're stuck as human beings in time. Of course, we're stuck in time. But as my rabbi kind of told me the last time I was in Israel with him, we had a very deep discussion about beliefs. And he told me something pretty profound. He said, time itself is a belief. In any given moment, we have the ability to stop believing in time. Right now, you have the ability to simply uncouple this moment from all other moments. And instead of having to use some type of righteousness or some type of morality to earn this, which of course you see where I'm going. That's ego trying to earn it to finally be worthy of it. That's all ego, which is not to put down the ego, but it's telling you that's not the direction that's going to let you overcome the ego. seemingly instead use intelligence, use a skill. It's the same reason I named this class spiritual psychotherapy and spiritual ophthalmology because i'm trying to move away from a moralistic way of speaking because what value is it if i sit you down every tuesday night and say be a better person then you know we have so many complications with that because so many of the world's evils have been done in the name of trying to make the world a better place basically almost all of the evils almost all Some people are that malicious that they do it intentionally, but that's only hopefully not as much. But the point is to be able to uncouple this moment from other moments is a very unique skill. Uh, He says, and it is in that sort of way you see that the Taoist gets rid of karma without challenging it. And so it has the reputation you see of being the easy way. One of my favorite things. What this means is you know, this is not some magical cure for the rest of time, and you're going to live happily ever after. It's simply saying, whenever you remember to do so, uncouple this moment from other moments. Do it immediately. Do it without thinking. Do it with, like, the guy releasing the bowstring without first saying now.
1: At Which particular moment? More this more. one. <laughs> when you're doing
2: what? Whenever.
0: Whenever. whenever. That's the point. Is it doesn't have to be any particular time,
2: but we're always thinking ahead, thinking what we're going to
3: have with the results, trying to think of the results before we do something, yeah, in order to make sure the result is good.
0: Yeah, we are, we are always doing doing that.
3: Just things
1: now, okay. No, no, I think what he's saying is you can think ahead, you know, by all means, but when you're doing the first thing, just do that, don't worry about anything else, just
0: do that and part of it is is kind of it is a leap of faith it's a leap of faith into saying that i'm i don't have full control over the outcome of this and yet i'm it's still like, just worry, acting
3: and get and then worry about it.
0: yeah i mean so this i hear your point and i think it doesn't mean to act rashly but it means that whatever you're doing try to do it without caring too much about the consequences of it and that doesn't mean that you should go and you know burn down the world and justify tremendous acts of evil that you're doing knowingly because you're just saying, oh, well, I was acting without thinking or I was acting because I know that I'm a part of God and God can do no wrong and my will is God's will. That's a psychotic way of thinking. But if you're able to perfect this as an art, you know, you don't have to do it with tremendous decisions. Start off slow. Start off with little things. Start off with the way I'm painting when I'm playing sports. Things that are not going to make or break me like tremendous life decisions. But that's a very good point. So, Any other questions? Yeah. Just a comment. Please. I was
1: taking jujitsu a couple of years ago. Yeah. There's a point where when you're rolling, when you're grappling with your opponent, where you have like, you can go be in a flow state, you know, where you and him are both not trying to kill each other, but you're working, you're doing different moves, but you're not even thinking, you're just going into different things. Mm-hmm. I love that. So you're not worrying about the outcome of, of doing this choke or doing mm-hmm. this, this thing. Just
0: going for it. It's amazing. I've been doing the jujitsu stuff also. I've been, you know, a couple nights a week, maybe two, three, and it's it's along with kickboxing. It allows me to do in a physical way what I'm always trying to do through just mentally through meditation. And it, when someone's punching you in the face, it kind of forces you not to think. That's the beauty of it. Is it brings you to the present moment where it's not. Oh, let me move out of the way. It's my my mind. Didn't even play anything into this. It's just my body acted without thinking. It's instinct. So we have the famous story in the beginning of uh, Jonathan Haidt's book. He quotes that he was riding on horseback um, and he was riding on a cliff edge, maybe in some foreign country, I think. And uh, all of a sudden, the, the horse is galloping, 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 and he sees that if the if the horse keeps galloping this way, he's going to fall off the cliff. And he's about to, you know, start going crazy and pulling himself in one direction before he could even do that. The horse immediately steps to the left and just continues on its way around the mountain. And it's, he compares this to the human brain where you have the rider and the horse. The cerebral cortex is like the, the self-consciousness that we have or the, the ego that we have. And uh, the reptilian brain is like the horse. It's like this instinctual part of ourselves that's already acting without thinking, without premeditating everything. And uh, Alan Watts has often said that the, the human brain is an organ like any other, where maybe we could utilize this organ the same way we utilize others. And then we could notice when it's going, you know, above its pay grade and acting too much. Because most of the time, we don't need to be analyzing everything. We just need to be with what is. Okay, great. Yeah. Sorry.
4: Please. I wanted to ask, is this the id in psychology or in yeah?
0: psychiatry psychology yeah
4: yeah because um just this past shabbos i was at a friend's house she has a few children and she has a two and a half year old who i saw the
0: id but the girl took up her clothes Mm, yeah (laughs) ate from everybody's food and just was running around doing whatever so isn't that
1: the um just going by instinct Mm. and doing
0: without thinking perhaps in a lot of ways it can be but i think in a lot of ways that's not just it is a lot of id but i think there's a balance that can be struck when you're an adult practicing this you know i don't have the answers you're right for for somebody that that could be mentally ill or definitely a child you know children are going to do as they do um but i could say the same thing about the parent the way they respond it is also part of the Dow. It's also part of just their natural instinct, which is to tell the kid, you know, like this is we have certain ways of living and certain ways of balancing and respecting. But I think you're right. There, there is an element of id to this that should be embraced, but it you don't have to take it too far. You know, that's that's what I would say. Yeah, Mike.
2: Um, so it sounds like somewhat contradictory. So, like, I don't know what, what you think about this, but um, it's emphasizing almost thoughtless don't think about it just do it do it you know with with uh do it instinctually almost Mm -hmm. but then there's also a big emphasis on intention right be mindful Mm. do it the way it was meant to be done let's say um but in a way those are two yeah yeah it's
0: sorry it's it's hard to sometimes balance that mindfulness and that intentionality which is a thought with the thoughtlessness but i think the beauty is yes they they can both coexist in a certain way
4: um and it's let, let me let me volunteer something uh, sure yeah please i would love I to hear it but i i think you know i think people are taking it like literally um and not like like in practice when it comes time to make a decision then you think, you make a decision, right? I mean, I don't know, whatever decision you might have. What Do I take this route to work? Do I take that route to work? Should I uh, put on, uh, I don't know, you know, green pants or blue pants? You want to make a decision to make a decision. But the point is when you're not making a decision, you know, when you're doing something, then just do that. And then don't think about, like our minds just tend to get polluted with with thoughts that, uh, you know, that that really take us out of the present moment. So you you can... You can't be. I mean, I guess maybe it, you could somehow generalize it to include every moment, but I don't. You know, to me at least, that's not practical. But if you are going for a walk, then you can clearly enjoy the walk and just think, "I'm I'm walking and I'm appreciating and I'm you know and you're in the moment, right?" That that's that's the way I could do it easily. Is do something that you know doesn't require thinking. Like walking doesn't require thinking. You know. Um, even operating, if I'm operating, you know, I'm in, I'm in the zone, right? So I'm not really thinking about, you know, what I'm doing tonight or whatever. Um, so certain activities are conducive to, to this type of behavior, but not yeah. everything.
0: Absolutely. And, and I think sports is a great example as well, because if you are thinking uh, about every shot and you're overthinking, you're probably going to hit it into the net, you know, when you're playing tennis. But if you're just acting on instinct, you're going to be much smarter of a player in my experience, just personally. Um, but when it, when it comes to something like meditation, I don't think there's a problem in the first second of the meditation to set an intention, but you're not going to continuously think about that intention, even though you might. it might come back you know, in the thoughts, that's fine. But ultimately, if the intention is to be intentionless, which is kind of like the purest form in a way of just letting the mind be, And like they say, the best way to quiet stormy waters is not to hit them with some kind of device, but rather just to allow them to be. So the intention you could be is let me be mindful. And the irony of that is let me not think about thinking. And let me just allow the thoughts to come and go like the the waves in the ocean. And that's it's a beautiful thing. But, yeah, I, I, I see where the paradox is and where the contradictions could come in. So notice those and let those go too. That's what I would say. Great, great points all around. Oh, ID. Sorry, you're muted. Yes. Oh, ID. I think you're still muted. Let me see. There you go. Now we now I hear you. You hear me now? Yes. So I just wanted to bring up just
3: on a personal experience, like I've always looked at it. Like when I was a kid, I excelled at algebra. But I think I excelled because once I learned the 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 this, I would say the formula. It was just an exercise for me, mm-hmm. and 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 I think that like I compare it to Michael Jordan. That every time he shot, he knows how to shoot. It was just an exercise for him. Yeah. So a lot of times you learn things in life. It's just applying what you learn. You don't have to learn it again. You don't have to keep learning it and learning it. Once you learn the formula or the or or the recipe or or the drill. Then it becomes I like can exercise. That's yeah. just my own take. It's always worked for me that way. That once I learn something, then I I I could um, I could take off with it. But That's on the point. other point, I wanted to ask you: Is there like a negative connotation to the id? To to uh to you know that you know that person? Because once years ago, because my I'm ID whatever, once I had a uh, a business thing, and the guy said to me, "Are you the id?" And this was twenty years. Ago. I didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> So, so, but it, it, it came off like, is it like narcissists? What, like, is there a plus or minus to the id? Yeah. What,
0: what? It's an amazing question. I'll tell you what Alan Watts actually says. This guy says basically that there's a way that that people, like these scholarly people or even the psychologists will put down the id or they'll put down yes. the idea of libido, which they, they term as blind, lustful, yes. sensual energy. But the right. point is, you realize that those are just judgments. And those uh, are unnecessary judgments. And like the Torah says, that Hashem created us, be, uh, that we should love Hashem. Bechol leba becha. And why, does she, why do we say that in Shema? You should love God with all your heart. But it repeats the bed. Leba becha. I could have just said, lebecha. Why leba becha? with your Yetzer Atov and your Yetzer Hara. And they give mm-hmm. a story in the Gemara where the rabbis prayed that there should be no more evil inclination. No more yetzer hara. And the chicken stopped laying eggs, and nobody went to work, and nobody was using that libido in the entire universe, and the world was going to the smithereens, and the rabbis prayed that it should come back. Mm-hmm. And the, the point being, it's like one of those funny kid stories. But the point is that it's it's a very deep message that we should be we shouldn't be quenching, qu- uh, sorry, quashing this primal id libido energy, but maybe. Yeah. We should be channeling it in a certain way. And that doesn't mean to try to fit any you know, uh, square pegs into any round holes. It just means to channel it in its natural way. And the funny thing about the Tao is that the question could be, how do you stay in line with the Tao? And then the answer that the guru will give is trying to stay in line with the Tao is deviating from the Tao. The only thing you can do to deviate from the Tao is by trying to, and even that is not deviating from the Tao because everything is the Tao. So the point is, just act naturally, and trust that through that natural way of acting, good things will come out of it. And even if they don't, you know, just allow to yourself to know that these things are temporary. Yeah. So I think that's and and what you were saying earlier about you know being a student. I've found that the, the tools that I learned even from elementary school and just people skills and things like that, that's carried me through every stage of life more than anything else. The tools that we really need are come at a very critical period in childhood and they kind of shape the rest of our lives. And you see the results in people who, who didn't get those tools in childhood and struggle for many years and have to find a way to develop those. But these yeah, it's are interesting. These
3: are Another thing, just
0: another tidbit that, yeah, that yeah.
3: Years, years ago that I, I read it somewhere, but it it gave me a flashback to my child. Math was always my key, my key, uh, uh, I excelled at math. But when I looked at it, it said that the teacher that has the most impact in your education is probably the career path or the skill set mm-hmm. that will dominate you. And that's what happened to me. Yeah. I had the best math teacher for three years, and he, he made me like he, he, – I was a rocket ship. But I mean, that skill set stayed with me.
0: So and maybe I had the that, best made biology me. teacher. It's the same story. Oh, really? Wow, that's interesting. Great, and I love – that's when I wanted to be a doctor. That's when I just, oh, wow. Wow, yeah. wow. That's interesting. Yeah, I love it. Thank you, I. That's These are great points cool. all around. You guys are awesome. So it's good if I'm the id,
3: I'm okay. Yeah, listen.
0: Tell them I'm <laughs> the id 2.0. <laughs> I don't
3: want to, I don't want to change my initials. That's uh, do
0: <laughs> idea one of a kind. We never want you to change. <laughs> I love it.
3: I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Sting says in, in the Englishman in New York. Be yourself no matter what they say. Amen. <laughs> <I'm in. laughs> I love that.
0: Idea, the best. <laughs> let's let's see what Alan Watts says. There are all kinds of yogas and ways for people who want to be difficult. And one of the great gambits of a man like Gurdjieff was to make it all seem as difficult as possible, because that challenged the vanity of his students. So what does this remind me of? This reminds me of all those meditative gurus and teachers who told yeah, yeah, it's enlightenment. Oh, it's going to be really tough. It's going to be very difficult. You're going to have to overcome years. You're going to have to go on these silent retreats. You're going to have to spend 30 years figuring this out. And yeah, you're going to have to do all this crazy stuff. You know, and some people even, you know, they drink water in through their anus and they do crazy things. Who knows these crazy practices that, that went on for, for centuries, asceticism and all these things just to try to achieve this. But at the end of the day, it's really as simple as ABC 1, 2, 3 is just coming back to right now. It's as simple as that. And if you're able to, to overcome the need of your ego to feel like it did this tremendously amazing accomplishment, if you could let go of that need, maybe you won't have to drive yourself to do all these extreme things. If some teacher, some guru says, really, this isn't difficult at all. It's perfectly easy. Some people will say, oh, he's not really the real thing. We want something tough and difficult. That's just how we are as humans, right? When we see somebody starts out giving you a discipline that's very, very weird and rigid, people think, now there is a thing, right? People get excited when you tell them something is really difficult. That man means business, we think, right? See? And so they flatter themselves by going to such a guy. And they're serious students, whereas the other people are only dabblers and so on, right? So he's showing you that even within the spiritual disciplines, is so much of this ego game being played. All right, if you have to do it that way, that's the way you have to do it. All right, that's your your way. Fadal, by all means, go sit in yeshiva for 10 years, uh, go to the top of the mountain for 20 years, if you really must. Otherwise, you could just live life as is and just be mindful with what's in your life right now. And that really no judgment either way. But the point is, don't feel self-righteous, whatever you're doing. And that's the tough thing. It's because even me saying, don't feel self-righteous, I could get in my head and say, maybe I'm feeling self-righteous about how I'm not being self-righteous. And it never ends. And you could keep spiraling within this until you put it down, until you just put down those thoughts, because those will never stop uh, unless you just put them down. But the Taoist is the kind of person who shows you the shortcut. And shows you how to do it by intelligence rather than effort. Because that's what it is. This is one of my favorite ways of looking at it. It's intelligence. It's a skill. The same way you could perfect playing tennis is the same way that you could perfect being present with your thoughts and overcoming of the ego. It's the same type of skill. It just takes practice. Taoism is, in that sense, what everybody's looking for, the easy way and the shortcut, using cleverness instead of muscle. So the question naturally arises, isn't it cheating? When in any game somebody really starts using his intelligence, he will very likely be accused of cheating. And to draw the line between skill and cheating is a very difficult thing to do. You see, the inferior intelligence will will always accuse a superior intelligence of cheating. That's its way of saving face. You beat me by means that weren't fair. We were originally having a contest to find out who had the strongest muscles. And, you know, we were pushing against it like this, this, this. And this would prove who has the strongest muscles. But then you introduce some gimmick into it, some judo trick or something like that, you see. And you're not playing fair. So in the whole domain of ways of liberation, there are roots for the stupid people and roots for the intelligent people. And the latter are faster. Right. And I don't even think he means this in a judgmental way when he says stupid. I think he literally just means there's ways for the quick witted and ways for the dim-witted, like we said last week. These truths could take you 30 seconds or they could take you 30 years. I mean, wow. that. you know, and and so, yeah, Mike, I, I read
3: something the other day that was very interesting on yeah. the uh Rambang guide to the perplexed. And he said something that stuck with me very and he said. He called it will versus wisdom. So a lot of times, like you're saying, in this case, if someone has that kind of stamina or persistence or whatever, it could it could it could it could, it could blow away the, the knowledge. Sometimes,
0: yes, know? yes. And the more you try, ironically, the, at, at a certain point, maybe you should be trying. You know, when you're really young and you're st- first developing the skills, try away. That's great. Mm-hmm. Keep trying, but at a certain point. You have to realize that more trying will get you nowhere. It's like hitting your head up against the wall over and over and over. Oh, yeah. But instead, there's another path towards what you're looking for. And that doesn't involve actual trying it, but involves more just being and, and noticing and, and breathing. But yeah. that's, that's an amazing, that's a great point. Um, okay, so let's see. This was perfectly clearly explained by Huenang, the six-page archive of Zen in China. In the sutra where he says the difference between the gradual school is what we said. The difference between the gradual school and the sudden school is they both arrive at the same point. But the gradual is for slow-witted people and the sudden is for fast-witted people. Can you, in other words, find a way that sees into your own nature, that sees into the doubt immediately? And at the end of this morning's talk, I pointed out to you the immediate way, the way through now. When you know that this moment is the Tao and this moment is considered by itself without past and without future eternal, neither coming into being or going out of being, there is nirvana. And there is a whole Chinese philosophy of time based on this. It hasn't, to my knowledge, been very much discussed by Taoist writers. It's been more discussed by Buddhist writers, but it's all based on the same thing. So once again, at the very core of this idea is the idea of time. That once you stop believing in the absolutism of time, once you stop continuing to connect moments, then you're starting to be able to kind of understand what's really going on here. Dogen, the great 13th century Japanese Zen Buddhist, studied in China, and he wrote a book called Shobo Genzo. Oroshi said to me in Japan, that's a terrible book because it tells you everything. It gives the whole secret away brilliant right if you try to speak it out and you try to say it it gives the secret away and the whole trick of the thing is that the magician who's trying to do this magic shouldn't reveal his tricks in a way right because when you are revealing your tricks you kind of ruin the magic so the point of a lot of these techniques is the same way as a joke you don't want the joke explained to you before you hear the joke you just want the joke to be told to you so that you get it naturally, and that's the beauty of the joke, the same way with the Zen koan, and the same way with a lot of these teachings. But in the course of this book, he says there is no such thing as a progression in time. The spring does not become the summer. There is first spring, and then there is summer. So in the same way, you now do not become you later. This is T.S. Eliot's idea in the Four Quartets, where he says that the person who has settled down in the train to read the newspaper is not the same person who stepped onto the train from the platform. And therefore, also, you who sit here are not the same person who came in at the door. These states are separate, each in its own place. There was the coming in at the door person, but there's actually only the here and now sitting person. And the person sitting here and now is not the person who will die. Right, we've mentioned that before. That the moment you die is its own moment. Yeah.
1: What do you take from this?
0: What do I take from this? I think what I take from this is what he means by overcoming karma, which is whatever you feel like is some kind of difficulty that you need to overcome in your life, or some kind of journey that you're on, or some kind of I need to get this and then I'll be happy. In any given moment, that happiness is found right now. And that peace is found right now if you're only able to right now uncouple this moment. Like that first train in the whole group of freight trains, right? And, and to me, this is exactly that. It's a way of stopping to try to earn something, stopping to try to earn my own value, if you want to go into psychology. Yes. Oh, sorry. Mike. Yeah, I did. So, uh,
3: so big fan, my rest in pieces, you know, the the Wayne Dyer was my guy for 30 years. Of course. And, and one of his key sayings was maybe relative to what you're saying. He said, you'll see it when you believe it. Mm. That was, that was,
0: that was, yeah. I love what he says. When you change the way you look at things, the things. That's his his trademark. Yeah. That's one of my favorites. and. That's exactly what we were talking about with regards to beliefs. <laughs> but if you change your beliefs, the, the, then like, right, when you change the way you look at things, the things, things you look at actually change. change. So if I believe in free will, Don't Hanan care. Bam even says this, it does nothing actually changes in the world, but in a way I actually do have more free will because my experience is of more free will. If I believe in a God, then, in a way, I think we've discussed this. If I believe in God, then I see God more in my life, and if I don't, and I believe everything's meaningless. It'll be. That. And the point is, I think it's not necessarily more healthy or less healthy for people to either believe in God or not believe in God. We discussed the case of Kathy and the case of Theodore a few weeks ago, where there's certain types of people that their idea of God contributes to their pathology. Versus other people, their, their, their degree of atheism actually contributes to their healing. But what, I, what I'm what i trying to say is, at the end of the day, whatever it is, it's ineffable. You want to call it God? You want to call it the universe? You want to call it whatever you want to call it? That's fine with me. As long as we both acknowledge the ineffability of it, the paradox of it, and the balanced way of living that could hopefully lead us to experiencing it. So, yes.
1: Exactly. About what I took from that was to be not completely really different is that the idea that you're always growing, no matter where you started, no matter where you finish, you're never the same person. You, never, you were yesterday, you're not today.
0: So I both totally agree and totally disagree at the same time. Why do I say that? I was just having this conversation with uh, somebody in psychology recently, and that is. That on the one hand, growth is vital and beautiful and a huge part of life and the human condition and a huge part of the entire goal of the whole universe. And Kabbalah is very big on that. And everything is headed in a certain direction. And Judaism was the first one to stop seeing time as cyclical, but to see time as linear. We were the inventors of history. And we saw that time is headed in a certain way because progress exists 100%. I agree. And yet I totally disagree. Why? Because there's nowhere to go and nothing to be and nothing more to get and everything is already here.
1: I don't understand
0: that. So what I mean by that is whatever is here right now is already perfect. And this is all that there actually is. And there's nothing more to do. Okay, so On the one hand. Okay,
1: no, no. So I, I agree with that. But, do
0: you but see, also, do growth. You,
1: do you see everything as perfect now?
0: I, I think from a certain perspective. Do,
1: do you see everything as perfect?
0: Yeah. So, I can see it all being part of the perfect. Uh,
1: uh, no, 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 I understand. My point is that when I say growth, I don't necessarily mean growth. I mean, our perception of the world mm. is growing. So okay. While, while I see only like 50% of the world is perfect, let's say, mm-hmm. tomorrow it'll be a little more. With, with uh, well, you, Nothing changed, everything's perfect. Mm-hmm. I can't perceive everything to be perfect.
2: Mm. But
0: maybe one that you change your perspective to make years, it seem after 50, more perfect. Sixty
1: years, whatever it is, my perceptions change. Mm,
0: I love that. I think that's so exactly it.
1: perfect. But we're growing. Yeah. Exactly. Much. It's we're not. Growing. It's not
0: that you're changing the world. Not it's not that you're changing, changing yourself. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's through changing I mean. yourself, you achieve more levels of.
1: That's what I mean.
0: Beautiful. Word. No, I have no problem with that. And think no it's a great point. That. And that's the whole paradox of it: is that it's found now. In sixty years, you would have figured out. Yeah, it's all right now. That's the. That's the irony of all of it. Because we are all in a constant flux, he says, and the continuity of the person from past through present to future is as illusory in its own way as the upward movement of the red lines on a revolving barber pole. You know, it goes round and round and round, and the whole thing seems to be going up or going down, whichever the case may be. But actually, nothing is going up or down. So when you throw a pebble into the pond and you make concentric rings of waves, there's an illusion that the water is flowing outwards. And no water is flowing outwards at all. Water is only going up and down. What appears to move outward is the wave, not the water. Right? So there's an illusion that we have of movement in any given moment. Even movement itself, me moving my hand. In any given moment, in any way you, you want to cut time, there's only where the, my hand is in, in that moment. But the funny thing about quantum physics is we're discovering that the more you try to define the position, the less you understand about the velocity or momentum and vice versa. The more you try to understand the momentum, the less you understand the position. So you can never quite pinpoint it. It has to be something that's experiential right now. A couple more words and then we'll get to the Kabbalistic stuff. So this kind of philosophical argument says that our seeming to go along in the course of time doesn't really happen right now so is really the truth of it and the course of time you think you're on no, so is not are, really true people
1: that die of old age what does he make of that the, the time who is the happen? one who's dying i'm saying this say,
0: there is no such th- the the moment of no death
1: you notice me a person is, i don't is, know is that what he's saying
0: you can only talk about a person with regards to his entire environment in space and in time. So you can talk about a person from the big bang till now. And only if you give all that context and the person in, in addition to the entire universe, because there is no separate person, but we'll talk more. It's a longer conversation. Yeah. It's okay. We'll talk more about it. I
2: understand
1: what they're saying saying that there's no such thing as any continue, continue, uh, there's nothing continue, uh,
0: continuous, continual, either way. It's a
1: a middle. It's not something like that, but there's nothing like that because everything is
0: this moment now.
1: Exactly. I get that. But what does he say about things that like a flower that, you know, dies?
0: Yeah, that's, that's the, the fact
1: that it grew up
0: means, means what it's part of believing in time. It's part of connecting separate events. But really, every moment is a separate event. So like you said, the summer doesn't become the fall. First, there is summer. Then there is fall. First, there is flower alive. Then there is flower dead. It's not that the alive flower became the dead flower in real reality.
1: So this flower became the flower that's a little
0: bigger. No, it's first there was small flower. Then there was big flower. Then there was dead flower. So it didn't become anything; it just was gone. And if you, in this way of speaking,
1: so okay, so he's are saying my phone, but this phone is not the same phone; you're saying it's a different phone. Mm-hmm. I'm asking: is that what you're saying? That this yeah, phone is it's exactly what you're saying. It's a different phone. Yeah. So he's are yeah. saying that everything is created again every moment. <laughs> that, that
0: implies every day, not, not every
1: moment. Every day, moment. well, so different.
0: Maybe yom means moment, but we, we, we'll talk more about it. I think I let's let's yom move yom on for now, but we'll mean
1: a thousand years,
0: yeah. Like many others. That's true too. So, time is, time anyway. time yeah, is exactly. an illusion anyway. Yeah, exactly. What
2: does yom mean?
0: Yeah, so listen, what do the Buddhists say? <laughs> Suffering exists, but no one who suffers. Deeds exist, but no doers are found. A path there is, but no one who follows it, and nirvana is, but no one who attains it. So the key to most of your questions really is, who's asking? Because when you talk about the phone or the flower, it's always with regards to you who's experiencing it. So to really get to the root of your answer, you need to understand who am I that's asking the question.
1: Okay. But at the end of the day, whether I'm here or there's nobody here, it's an empty world and no one's like, there's no person or anything existing. Does the, you would say the flower... Does grow.
0: Oh, I, I won't even know that there is a flower unless there's a person to perceive it.
1: So is he saying that if there was no one to perceive the flower, then it isn't there or is there?
0: Both. When, when uh, that, that, that's it's a something. paradox.
1: Okay. Yeah. So in in on the side that it
4: exists.
0: The world the world exists in my head, and my head exists in the world, and I can't state one or the other without stating the other one.
2: It's through through your perception, reality emerges, but through reality, your
0: perception. Yeah, emerges.
2: and so they're dependent on each
0: other. We'll talk a little more after classes. I want to move on, but it's yeah. a great question. So in this way, they look upon the continuity of life as the same sort of illusion that is produced when you take a cigarette and in the dark whirl it, and the illusion of a circle is created, whereas there is only the one point of fire, right in any given moment. So let's go to some Kabbalistic stuff, and we'll definitely have time for questions at the end and comments, 100%. So last time we were talking about the tension that exists, and uh, I think it was El Azad of Worms was talking about this idea that he can not really love God through spending time with his family and through doing physical acts of pleasure, but rather he can love God only in the generalities. And we're talking about loving the particular and loving the general. That really, unfortunately, what this person seemed to fail to understand, the reason that certain rabbis wouldn't even chew their food out of acts of asceticism is because they didn't understand, maybe, that you can love God in the general sense through loving every one of the particulars of his world, right? And that's the paradox, loving the general through loving the particular. So I gave this derasha in parashat yetro when the Torah is being given and the beginning of the Torah of the parasha talks all about Moshe's personal life and Yitro, his father-in-law and all these very personal things with regards to Moshe. And then it talks about these grand national things. And it's like, what's the reason for this contrast? And the reason I think is because through loving the particulars and through noticing where a lot of those generalities eventually come from, you have to realize, look, they came from the particulars. And you can't love the general without loving the particular. So, so I don't know. Why
1: can't you say that only once you attain a certain level can you love the general without the particular? But first, you have to go through loving the particular.
0: Fair enough. You let me know if you get. To. <laughs> well, but we'll, 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 I, I yeah
1: particular as it gets to the level where you can appreciate the general. Mm-hmm. But once you're there and you appreciate the general, you really need the particulars anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, could be not, could question. be not. You're right. I don't know. Maybe, he's maybe Elazar Worms. Yeah, maybe he was on a different like level. You're right. Could in be. In the
1: beginning, and he realized love got through all these small things, and he's like, I don't need all Yeah,
0: things. no, I'm not judging. I'm saying, up to each person on their own journey, 100. Um. So we also talked last time about the Hatat Nazir, that the Nazir had to bring a Korban Hatat at the end of his career as a Nazir, and this monk and uh, who refrained from drinking wine. And from uh, you know cutting his, c- cutting his hair, and I think some may say that of course Met he wouldn't have uh, uh, you know come in contact with the dead. And the reason that some of the schools say that he uh, brings this this uh, sin offering is because he was is now ceasing from being on that high level of spirituality. But on the other hand, yes, that's kind of the other school says no, he has he sinned by refraining from enjoying of this. Uh, God's world, and by refraining from enjoying of the particulars of life. So that debate that we were just having exists within the idea of Nazir as well. The majority of Talmudic and later rabbis, of course, Mm -hmm. the the majority of Talmudic and later rabbis rejected asceticism and believed in celebrating physical existence as an opportunity Mm -hmm. to offer thanks to God, and that's an attitude of thankful acceptance. So today's Judaism, we know about the idea of enjoying food and drink, family and friends, especially during Shabbat and holidays. As it says in the Torah, Love all the goodness and be happy with it and celebrate with all the people around you. Don't close yourself off. Simcha in the Torah is something that is the joy we share with others. There is also time for joy by ourselves at it and stuff like that. But the real ultimate joy happens as part of a group.
1: So, so, mm-hmm.
0: Exactly, exactly. Gratitude is shown to God by being mindful of the physical pleasures that we experience, respecting how our food died for us to live, sorry, died in order for us to live, right? And cooking it well. So this is something people often talk to me about with regards to vegetarianism. We have so many people who are so self-righteous about how vegan they are. And part of me is very admiring. That's great. Be vegan. Don't kill sentient animals. But at the end of the day, we're drawing these arbitrary distinctions between what we will kill and what we won't kill. Who's to say that a plant doesn't have some degree of feeling just because it's not the same as the feeling that you and I feel doesn't mean that it's not feeling anything at all. So the bottom line is you as a human being cannot live unless you are eating something that once lived and killing that thing in order to live. So get off your high horse. If you want to be vegan and and that brings you better, you know, closer to enlightenment. Good for you. That's great. Kudos. Don't put everybody else down for not being vegan. You know? And I think that's the point is it's not supposed to be an opportunity for self-righteousness. It's just supposed to be something that makes you live a more meaningful and present life. So the ascetic practices could easily become also ends in and of themselves, by the way, that if you become so obsessed with these practices, they're going to overtake you. They're going to kind of take on a life of their own and they're not going to be really a means of serving God. They're going to be very self-serving. Uh, And this is the trap of pride that was inherent in asceticism. It's the same reason we mentioned last week, Kalambam Maimonides talks about the idea of the golden mean following the middle path that Aristotle first talked about. The reason that the Buddha developed his uh, type of meditation style and his entire uh, philosophy is very much the same thing that he saw that asceticism doesn't work. And he saw that, Indulging in all of this pleasure doesn't work. So he also developed the middle path. And this is something that is converging through many different traditions is the idea of being balanced in whatever we're doing. And some of us, because we were unbalanced at a certain point, we need to go to the other extreme. So if you were, you know, sleeping with hookers every night and getting drunk all day for 10 years, maybe you need to spend 10 years in yeshiva. I'm not taking that away from you. (laughs) That's totally fine with me. I'm not doctor tell you what to do. I'm doctor. I'm here with you in whatever part of your process you're currently in. But at the end of the day, is there any
3: any way you should
4: do that? Which is first?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I would recommend doing the the, in the order that I said. Otherwise, you're uh, headed in the wrong direction. Unless you want, uh, I'm not judging. If, you know, whatever folks your boat.
3: But Mikey, I thought that that, that middle of the road is is, is 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 is
0: history. Middle of the road is history. Yeah. Why? Today, in the community today, it's left or right. Is there any yeah. middle of the road
3: anymore?
4: I That's call the same. It, By the
3: way, by the way, I call it Jindor. Yes. Words, J- yes. Jindal was the real deal. 100%. Everybody today, God bless everybody, has a direction: left, right, center, up, down, in, out. But Judo was the real deal. But Judo was really, if you want to say, not middle, but more balance. I, I like balance better than middle. Yes, because middle yes. means that you're really not going left or right. But balance means that you're that you that you touching all the bases. To me,
0: I couldn't agree more. And I think a big part of the the extremism that we're seeing religiously in the community today, politically in the world today is very much out of fear and divisiveness. and that's a great point. Yeah, when people are trying to set up walls around themselves, it's almost always out of fear. And, and, you know, it's okay to be afraid, but it takes a lot of courage and a lot of bravery to say, despite the fear, I'm not going to allow myself to go too far to either extreme. I'm going to try to really stay in line with being moderate despite the pressure to pull in one direction or the other. Right, and there's always going to be that tension and everybody finds that balance for themselves. Like you're saying, it's hundred percent. Right. right. Um, so, so there's always a trap of pride with asceticism. And even further than that, you have the bitterness to others that sometimes comes about others who don't suffer as much as you do, because you, you're, maybe you're becoming morbid, depressed, physically ill abusive of others. And of course, none of that is, is conducive to the spiritual quest. And that's kind of a natural consequence. When you deprive yourself of your human needs, part of that process is going to result in a lot of these difficult emotions. So we know that in AA, it's amazing, Alcoholics Anonymous, people who used to have their life in absolute smithereens, everything was chaos. And then they're discovering this higher power. They're discovering the healing process. They're quitting from alcohol. And they, they talk about a trap not to fall into in the big book of AA. And they say, don't now look at the world and say, ah, I figured it out. And I'm going to tell all you fools what I just learned. And then I'm going to tell all you what you're doing wrong. Because it's so common among Baalet among people who are returning to a more stable lifestyle, that they now think that they could go around telling everybody, how to be, because they themselves didn't know how to be balanced until now. And they're assuming that they have God's gift to the world. But really, that's nothing more than just uh, hopeful ignorance and uh, a lot of ego. And that's okay. It's part of the healing process to feel so excited about what you got. But don't impose that on other people. Um, we love to quote this pasuk from Tehilim that Hashem is or kasama Hashem stretches out the light like it's a garment. So it's this idea of seeing the physical world as a veil covering all of the divine light, sparks hidden within the kilipot, within the the, the shells. And there's this idea within Kabbalah that human sin strengthens the kilipot. And again, this is all with regards to the first view we were talking about before, which is that the world is headed in a certain positive direction of progress. So within that framework of thinking, there exists sin and mitzvah and good deed. And when you do something that's bringing the world further away from that end goal, that's strengthening the kilipot, the husks. And human redemptive deeds serve to weaken the husks and facilitate elevation of and liberation of the sparks to reunite with the source, which is God. And that's Rabbi Sachs's uh, inspiration for the idea called to heal a fractured world, that the world today is very much fractured and that humans are all part of this collective psychosis. And this collective psychosis that humans are part of is buying into an egoistic framework, a way of thinking about ourselves as fundamentally separate from the world. And in a way, the world is sick and we are sick and we all need healing. Um, And that's why Kabbalah is such a beautiful way of thinking about this healing process. Even basic acts like eating and drinking, the Kabbalists saw as liberating divine sparks. And you're elevating the physical to the spiritual. We all know the difference, right, between physicality that's devoid of spirituality and physicality that's imbued with spirituality. So we know the difference between eating a very quick meal, you know, and and not really being mindful versus eating around a Friday night dinner table where it just feels different with your family around and and everyone's speaking divret Torah and words of wisdom. And there's a certain way of of tapping into that physicality being uplifted to the spiritual. And it's all a frame of mind. It's all a mindset to have. Hasidut taught very beautifully that certain sparks could only be liberated by particular individuals, as they and they alone possess a special relationship with the soul of another individual who might be somehow involved with those sparks. So, if practiced humbly, this notion can fully express love of the particular. Right? If you do this humbly, if you don't get too high on your high horse, like look at me, how many sparks I'm liberating? And I liberated more sparks than you. If you put all that down. You say God is weaving together this epic story of I had to be the one to liberate these particular sparks and you had to be the one to liberate those particular sparks. At the end of the day, we're all one, but in the particulars that we are, we can express love to each other and to the, to the sparks that God left hidden within this world. And in which, and all this comes down to mean, That you're a unique individual on a unique mission that only you can fulfill, and that adds a really an an aura of of really beauty and and really deep feeling to whatever we're doing. Sure. On the
1: elevating the physical to the spiritual, I was told. My father told me. I I don't know where this is, but. Mm -hmm. If I wanted to elevate my sushi tonight, all I had to do was to think about I'm eating this so that I can come, and I can learn. Mm-hmm. This way, I'm eating it so I can learn. Therefore, this is now mitzvah to eat this. You can do that before you go to sleep. I'm doing it so I can get up for do for everything you do in the day. I'm mm-hmm. Using my phone, I can go to work so I mm-hmm. can make my so I can get to that time. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, you could just say that about everything. One hundred percent. Your whole day is mitzvah. It's I think that's like you're doing this. What your whole day is.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's absolutely beautiful, and I want to balance that. I think, I think that you should keep doing that, and don't stop I, doing
1: that. I, I try. Yeah, whenever I'm you that, can. Not, like,
0: but at the same time, don't let it get too far. Because can. if you take it too far, you're thinking too much about the thing instead of just being with the thing. Yeah. And, it, and you have to be able to balance the intentionality with the mindfulness, like we were talking about at the very beginning of the class. But that's I agree 100%. Those are great intentions to set. It's almost like right before I eat the sushi, I send an intention with a beracha with whatever thoughts I have, and then I enjoy the sushi, and I am mindful of when it. You right? say
2: releasing the kili pot. You're talking about making tikkunim, or you're saying doing the average mitzvah.
0: I think both. I think even just doing the average mitzvah, or even uh, eating, removes. They say the uh, the sparks from the kili pot, yeah, yeah. right? So we'll, we'll and we'll see a little bit more about that in a second. Just an amazing story I heard that was like. A man that was sent by his rabbi, I think maybe even the Baal Shem Tov in the uh, hundreds of years ago, to go all the way across Europe to go do some kind of business deal or really to deliver a letter of some sort. And the man goes and he delivers the letter and he comes back to his rebbe months later. And he says, Rabbi, what was in the letter? He says, oh, it was just, you know, a couple of words of Hazuk. He's like, and he didn't really understand what he's like. Oh, by the way, did did you uh, encounter a stream along the way? He says, yeah. He's like, what did you do? He's like, I went, I drank some water from the stream, and I said, Shaq on the Abed I made the blessing. He says, it was really for that reason that I sent you all the way across Europe, was just to liberate those particular sparks in that, in that amount of water that you drank. And, and the, you know, what you could take this with a grain of salt if you want, but the point is, it adds a level of real beauty that should, and if anything, force more mindfulness onto you, that everything you're doing, be fully mindful of it. Don't be neurotic about it and worry. But be give it an air of holiness. Of whatever I'm doing is in a way sacred and it's sacrosanct. Um, everyone I'm I'm serving is is like in a way serving God. Yeah.
1: You're not saying that everything you do liberates sparks, but something could be, so you have to be mindful of everything.
0: Sure. And I, I think in a way, everything you do is liberating sparks. It's all about the belief system that you hold. Oh, it's everything uh, it's not an absolute oh, yeah. it's not an absolute. I' don't, it's, it's not it's not something to know. So. it's not it's not an absolute yes or no. I think it's a it's a meditative technique. It's a style of thinking about the world. But I'm glad you asked. yeah. great. Um, a couple more minutes. So when you find yourself in a distant place also they say, it's divinely ordained. It's an opportunity to redeem those particular sparks, like we said. So if you find yourself going on a, some kind of vacation or whatever, you know, in a unique place. I was recently in Svat, and I had this beautiful meditation just by myself. And I I really felt in a way like this is meant to be for me to be right here, right now in this moment. And it's it's we're, we're not always so lucky to have the grace to be so present in any, any given moment. But that that grace comes about when it needs to come about.
1: Is that not an implication that the sparks where you normally are that you have
0: to live right? I think that's what exactly what it means. Oh. But whatever you want, whatever you, whatever you have the capacity to deal with in that moment.
1: I'm just asking. Yeah. If you with that implication,
0: Hmm. I I don't know. Honestly, I don't I don't know if it it has to imply that or not. But I but the point is, I think you have the capability of imbuing it with that. I want to shy away a little bit from like the absolutism of
2: no, no, no. the
0: sparks are always there. Sparks are not always there. I think if you try to claim it and say it, it's going to stop being true. That's what I will say. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we we got to have a longer conversation that we have a lot to talk about. Um, eating we said was seen as a way of liberating those sparks and therefore they, they discouraged unnecessary fasting. And they manifested the divine sparks trapped within the husks through an act of eating and through a mindful act of of doing what you're doing. And even the defecation process, even going to the bathroom, was seen as separating out the husks from the sparks in a certain way. And enlisting the bodily needs and pleasures alike in the service of God. Right? And like uh, what they say in, in here, they say she, you That's like one of these sayings. All your actions should be for the sake of heaven. So I wrote here in my own note, careful not to be too neurotic, lest you become resentful of this practice. So I think that was part of my resistance. Forgive me to what you were saying is because I find that if you give absolutism to a lot of this stuff, it becomes taken way too far. And recitation of mantras and people blessing honey and selling it for inordinate amounts and taking down lists and lists and lists of names to say like a magic formula under a chupa under a wedding canopy. And I'm so afraid, I think, of allowing these beautiful meditative practices to be co-opted and perverted in that way. But I think in their pure form, when taken with a meditative head and without... Is it this or is it that? You know, are oh, there sparks and I know spot. So, so it's like it, it it makes it more beautiful. Yeah. name, and
1: you're not like yes. And then you get like, so close. You're like, okay, please we help this person, it works. But if
0: you have a list of names, like, oh, I'm here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I imagine this one band, you're reading a whole list of things. Do you really? Are you you're really right, doing anything? It's
1: a lot different than when you're like in the moment thinking or praying for whatever
0: reason. I agree. I, I think it's much more valuable to to actually be deeply emotionally connected with the actions that you're doing most of the time. Um, and it's, it's, a beautiful way of experiencing the world. Like we say, it's not scientific or explanatory of the world, rather it's meditative and listen to the words of the Baal Shem Tov. He says, it is an important principle that whatever a person eats or wears or any vessel he uses, he benefits from the force pr- uh, present in that object without this spiritual life force, It would be devoid of existence further in each of these things. There are holy sparks related to the root of his soul. This is the reason why a person likes a certain thing while another does not. Hence, when a person uses that thing or eats that food, even if he does it to satisfy a physical need, he can thereby repair the fallen sparks for the strength he acquires from that garment or meal or whatever he uses to serve God thereby repairs them. So, Again, he's emphasizing this this unique relationship between the person engaged in this physical act or with this physical object and that physical act or object. And he is stating it in an absolute way. And I think many have and many will continue to state in an absolute way. But for me personally, I have found that it's not for for me to to state exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
1: You should put on your clothing like one thing at a time mm. don't put an undershirt at the same time reason being that each your object that your clothing like each item has like a sphere of some sort of cabalistic light or something um on it that when you put it on it like surrounds you and then it's on but if you put two on the same at the same time there's no there's nothing surrounding that first piece of clothing mm. For whatever reason it's better just put one on at the thing, you know, and then the other one. Beautiful. I, I don't really I no, can explain that. I, I think I it's know. great.
0: I think it's great exactly as a meditative technique. Or if you think there is an absolutism to that, no problem. No. I'll tell you what my fear is. My fear is that it could feed into the same pathology as anything else in your life, which is what if I didn't do it that way? What if I put on the thing in the wrong way or not mindfully, or da, 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 da? then it's God forbid. I strengthened the husks and I added to the evil inclination of the world. And I, you know, so you start getting neurotic and you start getting down to yourself and you start judging yourself.
1: Whether or not you believe it to be an absolute, there has to be a fact that the matter is either it is there. Oh, does there have to or be? It,
0: or it isn't there. Does there have to be an absolutism? Too? Even that's a belief.
1: Well, fine. I, I believe that whether I know it or not,
0: that there is. Ah, so this is the famous thing if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear. It doesn't it make a sound. You are saying absolutely. Yes, it makes a sound. And for, what I'm trying to say is maybe it doesn't make a sound? sound. And at the same time, I'm trying to say, I think it's both. So I'm saying, be careful of going too far in one direction, because then you might not be so balanced. For me, this is for me personally. I can only to speak for me. For you. It might be that being more balanced involves believing no, no, in a more no, absolutely.
1: Everything's absolute, right? Say everything's absolute, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean you have to follow every single thing that you know the the Kabbalah states. You do what you can, mm-hmm. and that's it. If I put two shirts on at the same time every day, okay. So this thing I, I mixed up, I messed up. Just because I believe everything to be absolute doesn't mean that I believe also that I have to follow every single thing in Kabbalah.
0: I hear you. And the, the other inter- interesting thing we said about beliefs earlier was that the more you believe in something, the more it actually is true for you in your experience. So if that's the world that you're choosing to live in, by all means, it's going to be intense and pretty epic because it's absolute reality. But what I found for myself is I don't need that degree of, of intensity of epicness. I would like it, but it comes with. A degree of intensity that's way too much for me. And I can't quite allow myself to live so far in that direction. And I need to live also in the direction of it's all a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing, as Shakespeare would say. And it's nothing special. It just is. And when I'm able to balance these two things, and I think that's the reason I I bring in both the Eastern stuff and the Kabbalistic stuff in every class is because I've found that if I only do the kabbalistic stuff, I'm very unbalanced, and that might not be the case for you. And that's up to you to find. We all find our own balance, and God bless everybody for that balance that they're striking and that they're finding. Um, I think we could pause here. Any questions or comments beyond that? And forgive me. I know I was very strong. Please, we have so much to talk about. Really, yeah. But anyone else yeah or yeah
1: no, more about this capitalist thing would you say that there's different levels
0: I think it's it's
1: so would you say if you believe that there's more than one level if you believe that would you say that you can only subscribe to the lower level lower level
0: I'll tell you where I think the paradox is so a lot of people talk about this where they say when somebody has a mystical experience they experience that oneness experience to be the highest and the only level and that's 100 true and it's also not true at the same time because then there is also this level and this level is just as perfect as that one and it's ineffable it's you, you could kind of stand in your head and spit with nickels as they say because nobody could ever really state the truth of are there levels or are they all equal yeah all right, guys. Baruch Anunay Le'olam. Amen. Amen. Yes, we'll to be continued do. next week. ID. I thank you so good much good. as always. All, oh, let's do it. Great. It
3: was dynamite. Thanks, thank Mike. Have a great week.
0: Love you, ID. We'll talk I'll more. See I'll
3: see, definitely for sure. I'll see you later.
0: <laughs> I love you. Alema.